This is good. We should warm up with unusable crap because I just woke up from a nap and uh we couldn't tell. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Speaking of running slammers, though, did you uh, did you watch that garbage toilet of a basketball game last night? We did. Yeah. We did. Yeah. Good. But we were watching it. A dear friend who is also a Gonzaga fanatic. Yeah. Dude. So is that it, Justin? Yeah. yeah Justin. Yeah, you yeah. know Justin. Right. He is the <laughs> harder proclaimed meth addict. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he called him a meth addict? Why? Because he looks like one? Yeah. Something about hairy arms. <laughs> I don't know. Scott loved hitting on that point. Um. Yeah, it was just I. I caught it. I got back from teaching a class last night, nine forty-five ish, ten o'clock. I was like, ah, oh, maybe the game's still on. I'll catch a little bit. And it was like more than ten minutes left in the second half, and the announcers were like, "Boy, they're calling a tight game." And I just watched till the end, mostly because it made me so mad that the refs were being so annoying. And I was like, this isn't this doesn't feel like a championship. This feels like something else. You don't get to watch these teams run or anything like that. It was like every single time up the court it was either a brick or a foul or both. That's true. It was the most yeah, was un- exciting of- oh. game I've ever watched. Or at least the pieces I saw. Mm. Even it was, was a- put it this way, it was the most unexciting like one or two point national championship game i've ever seen they somehow made a close championship not fun to watch at all hmm. did you find is that was that just me or it. because i turned no, it on no, no, at that no. time? there wasn't a lot of fluidity there's a lot of start and stop and honestly like nobody was hitting shots yeah mm-hmm. it was it was very interesting because i honestly like don't really care about either team and there was there were stretches i think that was north carolina's game this year of like just throw up shots because they had such good rebounders. So mm-hmm. they didn't have shooters. They just had like these kind of freak athletes. And so anyway, but there was a stretch there for a while where I think like Gonzaga scored like nine or 10 points and they were all free throws. And yeah. that was it. Like right. they, they missed like 10 shots in a row from the field and were just make, getting points off of free throws. Which yeah. is very boring. And then there would be like a foul with another foul on top. So it was like like that one weird technical with the <laughs> Polish guy. It's yeah. like, okay, what we're going to do is just going to have free throws on either end of the court and then just start it up again. What? Oh, my no, goodness. True. It was like, uh reminded me of when Scott, when he was in the parish out in the, um, the small town he was at, for, I think for an internship, he went and watched some uh, basketball game of some really like i don't know fifth grade girls basketball or something like that and it was single digits to single digits at the end of the game whoa and uh yeah there was not a lot of scoring but there was a dad who on the way out quietly said to scott well it's a shame somebody had to win that (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's exactly how i felt at the end of that game that's so that's such a funny line like that was such a a terrible 
game of basketball that there shouldn't be a victor. There really shouldn't be a winner. Just declare both teams losers. <laughs> yeah, sorry. All- Wait till next year to have a champion. There's no champion this year. Yeah, we're all worse off because we watched that game. <laughs> so nobody wins. Oh, man. All right, let's pray. Relax. Well, how have things been for you down there, Father? Pretty good. Pretty busy. It feels like we were just literally just talking. I was like, has it been a week already? It did kind of feel like that this week. That's true. Um, I wonder if it's because we've been so many stretches of, where it's been like two or three weeks at least. That must have been it. We got, I got into a rhythm where it's like, oh, I talked to those guys about once every three weeks. Yeah. yeah. But boy, dude, you are, you got Easter next week and then your ordination. Dude, I'll be honest. I've had a couple, like, kind of first set in of freak out moments about that. Uh, Like, specifically with ordination. And not like, I don't know, they're just different than I expected. But, dude, commitment is so scary. Um, (laughs) So, I'm excited. But I have noticed that the past week of like, oh, man, this is coming right down the pipe oh yeah here right down the pipe so i've had a couple very cool graces uh can i give you some quick advice though yo please yeah don't do it dude (laughs) (laughs) run while you still have the chance (laughs) what 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 Uh, nothing nothing dude. i'm laughing because i'm so nervous This is very uncomfortable. Yeah. No, that's that's been the shift though. Now that we're like back in a routine here of canonical retreats over, all paperwork is in, call to orders are in, time is set, like we're back from the Holy Land, that big trip. And so it is like very much shifted of like, oh man, ordinations, it's coming, man. How's how great is it gonna be a be a deacon, all this stuff, to where like real nervousness has set in. Mm with it mm-hmm. um but it's not i don't know it's like a unique nervousness of like no i'm still i mean there hasn't been like a single moment of oh i gotta get out of this or anything like that but uh but i don't know i'm very very nervous about it do you have a classmate at mundelein who's also on the same day gonna be ordained with you yeah well, well i have one uh db who will be, that's at Mundelein, so he'll be ordaining literally with me. Okay. And then Juliet is ordained the same night as well. Oh, so wow. that's like four or five guys in our class. Yeah. 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 I found that to help, to have a little bit of a, I'll do this if you do this, kind of a jumping off the bridge into the water thing. You hmm. know? Um, <laughs> I, I just have this image of, uh, we went on a canoe trip when we were, when I was in college, this group of friends of mine and I, and there was this covered bridge with like a little window out over the river where we were canoeing and when people were jumping out of it and it was pretty high, maybe mm-hmm. like, I don't know. What's like a high dive? 30, uh, 30 feet, 35, 40 feet. Maybe it was they high. Do meters. It'd be like 10, 10 meter. There's a three meter. Is that high? Or a five meter. It seems scary. Yeah, that's pretty high. But it was one of those things like once you I would never have jumped out of that unless I saw somebody else doing it, you know. Uh, but at the same time, because other people did it, I had fun. Yeah. Uh, and I think that commit, commitment, I was just talking about this last night with uh, my ecclesiology class because we, we were talking about priestly celibacy and sort of discussing, oh, don't you think, do you think priests will really get married? And 
and that whole conversation. Um, and I was just kind of reflecting on how my my experience of be, becoming celibate and committing to celibacy made me appreciate and admire marriage a lot more, like to see the good of it. Um, and like wanting to, wanting other people to commit. Like I, I had made this commitment. I have made this commitment. It's not easy every day, but I want people to enjoy what it is to have like gotten onto the other side of, of a lifetime commitment and actually started living it. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that before, but um, I don't want to rehash old stuff, but the, the whole idea of like not, not being able to practice for it, it's just, you have to jump in and um, it is scary also, as heck though. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just this kind of like confronting the reality right around the corner. Uh, and I think I've said this, I think on the podcast before of just like the Let's whole face call it, we've all said everything that we're already going to say on the podcast. <laughs> we've Let's said just it say it in different words. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> Very uninspiring yeah. point there, Father. <laughs> Thank you. So Thank you. Incredibly discouraging. I mean, we've already Very done like yeah. 120 episodes. Is there anything new really to say? We are mm. accomplished. That's what I hear you saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, that kind of, you can work that into my point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's super easily. Um, thank you again for that. But uh, it's just, it's setting in very much that uh, just the dependency and that I'm sure like married people would, would feel this as well. I'm guessing anyway, like this comes with committed love. But especially for me in my own discernment and my own life, like the dependency on God that cel- celibacy is going to demand in a lifelong way. Mm-hmm. So like even initially I go back to kind of that firm and concrete call to priesthood and celibacy that I felt a few years ago. And there's no doubt around that. Um, but that's still very much part of it. It's like God has to like very much show up and be a part of my life on a daily basis in like a real friendship with Jesus or celibacy is not going to work um you know because have been living chastely uh a celibate lifestyle for the past you know whole time of seminary and um so anyway it's just kind of like confronting that so like even the appeal of yeah hearing you say how good it is to be in like that committed relationship lifelong, you know, you're on the other side of it, which is super awesome to hear, but it's just like, yeah, right at the edge, even if you're pumped to jump, it's like, Oh man, that is a long way. Oh yeah. That is a long way to jump anyway. Um, so God better be real. Like that's, that's seriously what my prayer has been of even coming back from the Holy land and just reflecting a lot on just the absurdity of the story of Christianity, um, which I believe more and more, uh, but it it has to be real, um, or pff, else I guess I don't know. Like it's just no no bueno at that point. Yeah, but the thing, what I hear you saying is that celibacy sort of forces the issue. Um, you have enough trust from your own experience of God already that it is real and you do believe it, but 
this is sort of like stepping through the Red Sea out into the desert and being believing like, all right, I know I really think the promised land is there. And now I'm completely cutting myself off from lesser forms of comfort so that I can enjoy that, you know? Yeah, that's what it feels like in my life anyway, mm-hmm. like my kind of personal discernment of, um, yeah, I mean, that's part of the beauty, like the, the beauty of how I feel like the call to priesthood has been in my life is just the dependency that's kind of required of it. Yeah. And I'm super pumped about it, but it's just, it's setting in more and For more sure. that like, if God doesn't show up, I'm in big trouble. Yeah. And I, I think um, celibacy in a lot of ways, it, like it holds our feet to the fire. That's going to be something forever in my life that is always going to call me into deeper trust in God. Because like, if it's not God, then my celibacy is going to get wrecked. And celibacy is always going to hold me close to him. Because it's either him there or or I don't live my celibacy well. You know? And so that, I guess of the promises that you make, like celibacy is one that's never going to go away. It's always going to be one that holds you close to him. Either that or you go off you go off elsewhere. There's a lot of weight to that. Yeah. Like you can't escape it. It's, it's inescapable. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. What I kind of think it's not so much the loneliness or the, uh, lack of company. I, I think one of the really reckless things about celibacy is the, um, the not having, the best word for it I can think of is future, but like in an earthly sense, there's nothing, you're not handing on yourself, your life onto another generation of physical children, mm-hmm. you know? It's just like the <clears throat> the line ends with me because I believe that it actually doesn't. That That's why that's the eschatological witness aspect of celibacy is that sure. um, our home is in heaven and there is no there's no marriage in heaven uh so we're gonna just in advance start living that right now um whether in consecrated life or or in the diocesan priesthood which is why i think it's so important why that that question of well don't you think priests should be able to get married like are you kidding in this time and place this would be the last time in history that you would want the church to soften its rule on celibacy because we we need it more than ever to jar us out of our, our, like the solvents of modernity and, and, uh, yeah, wealth and comfort and, and everything. It's not, not so much the sacrificial aspect of, of celibacy. That's certainly part of it that we need to be, people need to wake up and be like, you know, it's not just about personal self fulfillment. That's not what's going to ultimately fulfill you as a human being. Um, ironically enough, like focusing on your own fulfillment doesn't fulfill you, but rather just like this radical self-emptying, this imitation of Christ is, is what we're called to. Um, but on top of that, just the, just the radical witness to something else besides what this world has to offer. When the world has to offer so much, you need some people to kind of step away and radical, like the Anthony's of the desert and the Catherine's of Siena. Um, but to me, like having every parish have a 
a celibate guy whose job is to bring people God is pretty valuable. And I, you know, to throw that away and just be like, well, let's make the priest look like everybody else. Um, again, I, I love marriage. I want lots of people yeah. to get married and enjoy it. But if, just to be totally honest with you, if priests, if I had been growing up and priests were just religious professionals who made a living and supported a family on doing church things, never would have caught my attention, never would have occurred to me to ever do it. Oh, yeah. Um, it was because it was a radical call to trust and sacrifice that it ever got on my radar in the first place. And another thing. Hey. Yo, what happened? I don't know, man. We lost internet there for a minute. Oh, you completely lost the internet? That's yeah. what it said. It said, I'm offline. Dang, what happened to the internet? I don't know. It's broken. Imagine if everybody lost the internet. <laughs> <laughs> where would it go? I don't even know. Oh. Did, did we establish where the internet what was? Would... We've talked about it. Zing. I'm pretty sure the mainframe is at Area 51. Oh, that's smart. That is smart. And they're just like, aliens are here. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Quote, unquote, aliens. Keep a low profile. Yeah. All right. Well, I had been saying, I think I saw when I got cut off because your picture changed. But uh, yeah, I was saying how priesthood never would have caught my attention if it hadn't been. Yeah, we had that. If it hadn't had this marker of radical trust and sacrifice. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, do you have anything more to say on that? No. Okay. Anyway, this is this is kind of like another thing I've been thinking about the last couple weeks. Uh, it kind of ties in. Is that I've been, I know a number of people in the RCAA process right now. And I know a number of people that have like gone through RCA multiple times that are like doing it again, kind of discerning if they're going to join the church here shortly, all this stuff. So I've been praying for them. But I had this thought come to me the other day that, um, I don't know, it's just a very consistent thing that I hear. And not only like from this group that's in RCA or whatever, but a lot of times that people that take their faith seriously and maybe have a, like an issue or something with Catholicism that aren't Catholic, just in talking to them, they'll say, well, I could never be Catholic because of like X reason. And I mean, there's kind of like typical ones of like, I could never like the whole like Marian dogmas. I could never be on board for those or the Eucharist. I could never do that. Or the Pope, like typical ones that I hear a lot. So it's it just, it's been interesting to kind of piece that together over the past couple of years that there could be like, just like maybe sometimes like one thing, like one thought or one idea or whatever, keeping someone from becoming Catholic. And I don't know. I don't That just kind of like came to me in prayer the other day. And I was like, could you also, could you just like reverse that notion where like one thing is so good that you couldn't not become Catholic hmm. because of it? And I was just thinking about, honestly, it, it was kind of like wrapped up in some of the celibacy stuff of like, yeah, as nervous as I am for the commitment, um, like I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't change anything it's kind of been like the surreal experience for me of like i don't know just how like fulfilled and happy i feel my life 
is that I mean the thought of the unknown is is thrilling and and very very scary in this but I I firmly believe like the just the like eschatological reality you were talking about is like no I I firmly believe like my celibacy is not at its core like a renunciation but actually getting to start living in the heaven reality early um compared to my friends or a lot of my friends the people that I I know and so it's just like this great gift to receive but uh I don't know and I was just thinking about around that of like yeah what a what a cool and certainly weird and certainly yeah radical in a lot of ways but what a cool thing um that like God could fulfill someone totally like right in the here and now you know and uh I don't know I just been thinking about that too of like I mean you could insert so many things of like just what we say the Eucharist is. And I don't know if this is stemming from, I'm rereading Brideshead. I got off the Steinbeck kick after East of Eden, and I wanted to kind of compare it to Brideshead. And I'm not even to the part yet, but there's a line in there where I think it's Ryder and what's the other guy's name, Sebastian. They're talking about Catholicism. And it's, it's something to the effect of like, well, it's such a beautiful story. That's like Sebastian's reason. And uh, Ryder comes back at him and he's like, that can't be why you believe in something. And he's like, why in the world can that not be, can that not be the reason why I believe in something, you know? Hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's just been like a very attractive thing. I thought there's cool ways we could go with that. But just that notion of like, yeah, maybe there's something out there that's like, it's so good that you couldn't not be Catholic because of it. Thoughts? <laughs> well... I'd say my scariest moment of discernment while I was in seminary early on was the uh, feeling at one point that I didn't want that. I didn't want to be a priest, uh, to go all in. Like I wanted a normal life, but at the same time, I knew that the normal life wasn't going to be good enough because I had tasted something better. So I guess the the fear was like, has this better thing that I tasted lost its flavor and now it's not there anymore, but then I go back to the old food and I know that that's not good enough because I've tasted something better. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm not saying that very clearly, but that was the scariest thought I ever had was like, what if, and I'm sure it was just, you know, typical spiritual dryness that uh, Mm -hmm. I wasn't mature enough to really understand um that it passes and that it's you know not the end of the world but i was like dang i can't just go and act like i don't know how awesome it is that to like live in a relationship with god where like yeah it's sort of the permanence and the intensity of the happiness of of losing yourself in love rather than just sort of like getting along to get along. Okay, this makes me more or less happy. I like this job or I like this woman or oh, um, yeah. this place to live or this car. Um, not that those yeah, things are commensurate. I mean, obviously a woman is a person. So The Red uh, Sea closes behind you. Yeah. You can't go back. Right. Uh, 
yeah, and again, I, I don't I don't mean to to denigrate in any way the married life as a normal as a quote unquote normal life because that, that's extraordinary in its own way. But it also requires you to sort of like radically commit and sacrifice and empty yourself. Otherwise, it is just like part of your your therapy for yourself like what do i need to be happy well i need this person and this setting and this many kids and blah. and it's still all just like the reference point is you and your needs like at some point the veil needs to be torn back and and you need to just like jump in to selflessness and that that's what's really scary to me is like what if my needs don't get met well <laughs> i don't believe that matters all right let's go <laughs> that's oh that's scary but yeah you can't you, you're right the red sea closes and you can't go back and to try and go back and like what's c.s lewis's uh image of the kids playing in the mud puddles and like not being able to convince them to come out for a vacation at sea because they're they're too fixated on the mud puddles it's like you can't once you've been to the sea and and had a vacation at the sea and seen the beauty of that you can't go back and like just splash in the mud and think that that's fun enough anymore you know mhm yeah yeah the line that the line that keeps sticking with me and this isn't so much to the even though i think it is a really good a really cool question is there one thing that could make could it be so great that it could make you catholic like the one thing that holds you up from it this isn't to that question even though I hope we talk about that. But the, there's a line. I'm in The Lord of the Rings right now. I just got into The Two Towers, but was listening to The Fellowship while we were in the Holy Land and um, started reading it when I got back. Um, and it's just incredibly good. And there's a line when they have the the council at Rivendale, the Council of Elrond, and they're talking about it may have been at the council or later after they've started the expedition with the fellowship. And they're talking about like, Hey, if anyone wants to go back now is the chance. And there's a little discussion between some of the characters, some of the members of the fellowship and you know, one, I can't remember who the character is, but is, has more of an extreme opinion of like, no, we said that we were going to do this. We already gave our word. So like we're in this darkness and they were using the light and dark imagery, which of course in the Holy land was, like fairly prevalent for my prayer life, especially because of um, True Detective, that series that we had watched. Mm. So I was like thinking a lot about of stepping into the darkness and trying to trying to analyze that question of of thinking about like, do we have, do I have the strength to step into the darkness? Um, is someone going to have to come in after me if I step into the darkness? Am I alone? Like a lot of those questions. Um, cause we're not like, we have to follow the light. We certainly have to do that, but sometimes we are asked to step into that darkness. And so a lot of those questions were stirring around within and the character in this discussion says, no, we already gave our word. Like we're already in the darkness. So if you turn around now, you're betraying your word because, um, like you, you gave it and you're in the darkness and now is the time more than ever that you can't flee. And I think it was Elrond, what one of the characters said, yeah, that is true, but every person who gives their word to step into the darkness has a right to see the dawn, like has a right essentially to see the sunset, has a right to see like that progression of darkness. So it's a very, very different thing than ending up in 
in the darkness, just to continue with that analogy, um, and like have no idea what you were stepping into and what you were doing with it. But then to see like what it looks like as the sun sets, as darkness approaches, to have an idea of what you're getting close to um, and s- feeling the weight of it. Um, I guess that was just a good way of putting it of like, no, I feel like this time of waiting because I'm starting to feel the same thing. It's like there is heaviness to this commitment. But sitting in it, it's like watching the sunset. And I understand for sure that I'm not alone in this, that this commitment that I am going to make, I'm, I've, I've received the training, I've received the formation, I am in a relationship that will sustain me in darkness, in the commitment of life. Um, so I guess that's just kind of like, that is kind of what was sticking with me is everyone has a right to see the dawn. Everyone has a right to see that sunset, um, which is a very different thing than ending up in the darkness and like, whoa, um, I don't know. When you say dawn, are you talking about the sunset? Yeah. You're, that's dusk. Dusk. Isn't it? Oh, dusk. I, was, I was wondering, dusk. I was like, is it both? Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Whole story. From, from uh, dusk, yeah. yeah. Everyone has a right to see the dusk. I see. Gotcha. Sorry okay. about that. So you guys are walking in the dusk right now, in the last light of day, before you enter the great darkness that is the priesthood. Well, the diaconate. Yeah. Kind of a gloomy metaphor, but... (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Well, I do like it in the sense of the Lord of the Rings darkness, where they're setting off into this great adventure, because it does... Right. It's the It matches what you're saying, Rob, about the thrilling slash scary part of it. Um, Yeah. You know, it's the Shire. I mean, I I really do love that image of the leaving of the Shire, because the Shire, the way he describes it, is just so nice and homey and comfortable and like everything about it it's like the good life you know eating a lot drinking a lot but not to excess and just sleeping a lot and having a lot of kids and you know knowing your place in the world that's that's the good life that's what god wants for us and it's what i want for people you know um but Every once in a while, somebody's got to go ahead and leave that shire in order for it to, you know, to stay such a great place. I really like that metaphor of Tolkien's to, for the priesthood because it is, it is a scary thing. But there's also that fellowship of the of the ring, you know, that they go off together and you have your Gandalfs. I certainly have my mm. Gandalfs in my priesthood. Oh heck yeah! You know that is heck true. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Oh yeah, I know. Oh my gosh, three. rewind this. Go back and listen to like three years ago the podcast and hear me now. I, I three years ago I would have thought I was such a nerd. <laughs> you are a nerd saying Bobby. that for even having read the book. You've got to accept yeah. that you are a nerd. You're like my Gimli. <laughs> yeah, I'm and I'm. Oh, I'm more like your Tom Bombadil. I come running, running and singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, you don't sing enough for me. Tom Bombadil is always singing. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think well, a lot of that that really stuck with me was the number of like sunsets and I guess just very real experiences in the Holy Land, um, which is when I was kind of going through and reading it. I the the imagery of the light and the darkness. I, that does also go back to the true detective, but man, oh man, uh, it, 
I have a number of things that I have to get done before ordination and I can already still feel it where it's like I have tons of things on my horizon that are yet to come before ordination that I can kind of focus on. But essentially your next horizon is ordination. Like you don't have anything else to do. You got canonical out of the way, paperwork. Yeah. We got Holy Land pilgrimage. Check, check, check. I still have France. I still have Mm -hmm. invitations. I still have all my paperwork that I got to do. Like next thing down the pipe for you is hands on head magic, <laughs> lights, lights and action. lasers. Yeah, Le- I hope there's lasers. <laughs> yeah. if there are lasers. I'll be very disappointed. Places, places, everyone. <laughs> and now your starting lineup. <laughs> yep. Have Aaron Coon just kind of wobble out <laughs> in a dolmatic. Yes. <laughs> yeah, propel him in from the ceiling. To start the mass. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Suspended wires. Yes. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm going home on Friday uh, for Holy Week, which is going to be very busy. And then I'm coming back and leaving like two days after I get back to go be ordained, which is pretty, yeah. It's pretty exciting. Mm. Yeah. Not much to say about that. Yeah, that is. I don't even. Well, I remember a little bit my lead up to my diaconate ordination. It was it was nice because it was at Mundelein. So mm-hmm. I just that day I kind of walked around and actually went and prayed a rosary in the cemetery. I don't I don't really know why, but I felt like that was a good um, place to be alone and. You just look at these people that, you know, the seminary has a pretty small cemetery, but uh, Cardinal Myers buried there and just people mm-hmm. that came before you. Yeah. Um, you say, uh, there was a sense for me of entering into a, something much older and much bigger than myself. That's very, okay, so that's another thing that's definitely been consoling to me. Of I've just done, I don't know, holy hours the past few days with certain saints and it's just like that was another big notion of like, uh, well, I don't mind sharing this at all. Like a huge grace for me past few days. I got like just a really cool um, birthday note from both Sister Alicia and then another really nice note from my friend Becca, who's one of my really good friends from my focus years. And just like tremendous graces, both of these and both like completely surprised big surprises anyway we're not expecting them at all and it just kind of turned into this uh i don't know reflection or kind of deepening the reality of like i did not uh create or do anything to influence saint john paul ii or saint therese like they are their own people that came before me and like these great great saints in my own life and so i know that's such a weird thought but that's been like deeply deeply consoling of i did nothing to like have those examples of faith that mean so much to me there and you're talking about like gandalfs in your life earlier like that's been consoling too of just people i can go to in my life that have i've interacted with on like daily basis and that just like their faith is you're just like no even in like the moments that are kind of freak out times it's like so and so believes this and like stakes his or her life on it. So I'm still in 
because of that. Um, I don't know. It's just such a gift, like those relationships. The the layers, Father Larry Hennessy. I seriously watched him walk across campus the other day just to watch him. Like I'd never get to see this guy. <laughs> There's Father Hennessy. He just stopped and like, just yeah. I those figures that you look to. You're yeah. like Father Hennessy still in it to win it. I'm that's good enough for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an air of destiny to the whole thing. Not to be melodramatic, but you didn't invent it. You know. The priesthood, uh, the priesthood was here way before you got here, and it'll be here way after you're gone. And you just, yeah. it's, a, it's a torch you hold. Yeah. I like to think of it as like you're the custodian of the mysteries, you know? Mm-hmm. These things were entrusted the apostles, and they entrusted them to other guys, and so on and so forth, all the way down to me. It's not my property. I'm borrowing it <clears throat> for the sake of giving it to other people, and then, then I'm outie. You know? Well, and that's you can talk about it on like the big scale as well of like the priesthood and the sacraments and the church and all that and the communion of saints and cloud of witnesses, but also on a very particular level, like that's always something that's consoling for me is uh, just realizing how absurd it is that I'm in seminary of like I and I know we've talked about that before, but like I certainly didn't do anything to get here. <laughs> And just really looking back and like having that trusting hand, seeing God's hand so alive that put me in this place here. And it's like, okay, if you you have brought me to this place against my wishes, even at times, and um, like if you've taken me this far, you're going to take me the rest of the way, you know? It's on a general level, but also very, very particular individual level that makes, yeah. The Lord, this is the Lord's vocation. Yeah. You know. Hmm. Yeah. Well, good on you, Rob. 17 days. I did the math. I know, man. man. Today. 17 days. That's just over two weeks, if my calculations are correct. Right. <laughs> can can yeah. I ask this? And this is, you don't have to answer this, obviously, on the podcast. Yeah. But could you describe, like, the weight or the nervousness? Um,. I mean, it's just, I I, th- I feel like now there's a little bit more um, just kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe I hadn't used this before, but like uh, kind of like an IPF lingo, like third level of the heart type stuff that I, I consider of just like um, uh, just making sure uh, like the mass that I'm preaching on Sunday, got everything like lined up for that, who's going to be where and um, like getting RSVPs and making sure, um, just like knowing where people are going. So just like logistics stuff, you know, I got to prove to miss like a day of class so I could literally be home for the ordination. So just making sure like that stuff was kind of in yeah. order. So there's a little bit more of that, but not honestly, not too much. Like I could pretty much pull out of all that stuff and I think I would be good at this point, which would, which is very nice. Um, but it's still there. And I guess it's just like, I hadn't used the the word weight yet, but I guess like just the the nervousness. Um, I don't know. Maybe like maybe at certain levels, like a much deeper level, would just be like uh, in a in a sense of like, am I up to the task of it? Um, and just like the reality of the difference of being ordained and not ordained, and the commitment there, 
which I know is like, I usually reject that as just like a pretty big lie of, um, you know, the reality is like, I'm not up to the task, you know? Um, so just the notion of like, yeah, complete dependence on, on Jesus is going to be, um, pretty much all that there is to that. Um, and so there's some of, some of that. And I guess for me, like how I would articulate it more, I mean, I've told you guys, like certainly the grace I've been praying for the last year, really, it kind of culminated around Christmas, but just the grace of faith, like very, very simple, like to just have faith and um, like one of those people for me, I was talking about like the Gandalfs in my life was certainly, um, you know, certainly Bishop Barron when he was here. And one of the things that like, I thought about him a lot in the Holy land was just like, I loved in his doctrine of God class, how he would just like talk about the miracles of Jesus and how he believed them. And, uh, I was sharing that with somebody the other day of like, when we were on the sea of Galilee, like I wasn't actually, I tried to make myself, but I couldn't imagine Jesus walking on that water because my brain would just kick in and people don't walk on water. And so just kind of like, but somewhere in my heart at the same time, like believing that he did. So just, just like a real faith in Jesus. And so I guess that has kind of all culminated in, it's just like, yeah, I mean that I believe that that's true, that, uh, Jesus is the son of God and that he rose from the dead at his core. He was God incarnate and he actually died and he came back to life. And, uh, through a solidarity with him, we can share in that resurrection. And if that isn't true, then it doesn't matter how cool or beautiful the story of the Catholic church or the priesthood is to me. Um, and so it's like, I just, I don't know. Like I have such a, sometimes I have such like just a, Mo- like modern or critical mind or whatever you want to call it of, um, you know, you can't prove in a scientific way that that's true. Um, and you just got to step forward with that. Like I, you have to be okay with that. Um, so all of that, I could have said that two months ago. I said, could have said that two years ago, et cetera. But for me, it's just a real felt thing of, um, this is the first ever, uh, for me anyway, lifetime commitment publicly that I've made. Um, and so it's just like the rubber meets the road and there's some nervousness around that. <clears throat> so I don't know if that makes sense, but that's the short synopsis to your question. Well, I think actually full circle, you kind of answered your own question of like, if there was one thing that could make you Catholic, it's Jesus died and rose from the dead. Yeah, sure. That's it. Well, I mean, that is, that is similar like to that to that question of like, is there something out there? And I think it has to be on an individual level, like for how like I think about that question, but there, is there something out there so good that, um, if you believe that one thing, then you can't not be Catholic. No. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if, if God actually became a man and we can, um, like consume what we believe the Eucharist is every day, then yeah, that's worth like everything else as hard as that is some days. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's, you know, people have to answer that like at a, at a very uh, intimate level in their own hearts as well. So I don't know. Beautiful stuff. Mm. 
Yeah, and I also th- I think we, when you get to a certain point, not that we like we ever stop learning, but I heard this from one of my actually one of my Gandalfs, quote unquote Gandalfs, is it's like not learning anything new as I get closer to ordination, but it's a deepening of things that I already know, um, and like having them really, really be a part of who I am, not just in the head but in the heart, just a, a deepening of of things already known. What about you, Bistron? Is there anything so good that, for you, that because you believe it, you can't not be Catholic? Oh, for me, it's that's the Eucharist for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just can't imagine life without it. Which is why <clears throat> much of my energy and love and thought goes to trying to get people to a understand it and b take advantage of it. Um, yeah, I mean, even to even today, <clears throat> three years into priesthood, I still wake up some mornings or go to bed some nights, and I think like. Whoa. Sometimes when I look in the mirror, I'm like, I'm a priest. Like, <laughs> this makes no sense. You know, it's like sometimes you walk around in it and you you just feel it, and you are who you are, and everybody treats you accordingly, and um you know, relates to you as a priest, but every once in a while you sort of snap out of it and you're like, this is, uh, this is something else. This is someone else. Um, and it can be scary, but you just, yeah, even the, even those doubts, like you're talking about like faith and some, I like that image so simple of like looking at the water and trying to imagine Jesus walking on it. Like you, you do, it's not just blind leaps, you know, it's sort of like I was listening to Catholic stuff you should know, which I don't often do, um, and I shouldn't even plug. I should bleep that out. But yeah, because because of how bad that's why we don't listen to them. Right, how bad they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, they were talking Poison. about faith and some like images to help understand what faith really means. And one of them was falling in love. Um, you know, people who have fallen in love don't know how to explain it to someone who hasn't but they know it's real and but if you've never fallen in love like some some people be like how do you know it's love like you know how do i know that this is the one or or whatever um or just to know i'm in love like yes this is this is what this is um well you once you've done it once you've been well it's something that kind of happens to you but you you also have to take a risk you know like like a first kiss, you know, or whatever, um, when you're a nervous teenager or whatever, and you've never done this before, like to, to step out somehow. And, but then once, once you get to the other side of it, you're like, this is a totally new realm of, of living, you know, that I didn't know existed before. And everything else is sort of relativized to it. Um, like I'm willing to give up all sorts of other things to have this love, uh, or to be with this person or whatever. Um, that's what faith is. That's, and it's, it's every once in a while, I mean, it's a, it's kind of tenuous because it's based in some ways on an emotive experience. Um, and emotions are kind of notoriously fickle and they change, but, uh, it's based on like the love of God and faith in him is based 
ultimately in like this unshakable, unchangeable rock that is God himself. But we're the ones that, that change all the time. Um, but having fallen in love with him, I guess you, you just know that it's real uh, in a way that you can't even sometimes explain to yourself. Do you get what I'm saying? Like in the moments yes. where it's not, it's not always as obvious to you. You you try to like talk yourself into it, um, but it uh, it's still there mysteriously. Like and he and he shows up and, and those doubts go away. And sometimes you see the glory, and that it's like your golf analogy. You know, you hit a good shot, and you're like, it keeps you out on the golf course. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's that simple. Like the the priesthood is just like, like any lifetime commitment. I think as you grow into it. Um, you simultaneously realize like how right it is, but also how strange it is uh, that he would have brought you to this point. So for what it's worth, I was just kidding when I said, don't do it. You should do it. (laughs) I thought you were going to go with the same joke and say, don't do it again. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisque, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.